Welcome to Big Shakti's Light on Yoga and Meditation podcast. My name is Dr. Swami Shankardev. I'm a yoga acharya, medical doctor, psychotherapist, and Vedic astrologer. And I'm a co-creator of Big Shakti along with my partner, Jane Stevenson. This podcast is dedicated to providing you with authentic, accurate knowledge and access to a range of powerful techniques from different wisdom traditions to achieve health, enlightenment and prosperity. We're also very interested in how to use yoga and meditation to increase both lifespan and health span, to reduce chronic illness, to improve physical and mental resilience, and to accelerate your spiritual evolution. This podcast is from an interview with my good friend Ron Ehrlich in 2022 for his podcast, Unstress. And for many years, Ron was also my holistic dentist. A great dentist he was too. However, unfortunately, he's recently retired to focus more on health education. And you can find out more about Ron and the wonderful work he's doing at his website, Unstress Online. In this podcast, we discuss my approach to mind-body medicine and how I incorporate meditation and Eastern and Western methods of mind-body medicine and psychotherapy into my medical and yoga therapy practice. We discuss the history of mind-body medicine, what it is, and how relaxation is a foundation technique that enables positive change. I describe how Western methods of healing and psychology and Eastern methods of healing, psychology, and various spiritual and wisdom philosophies have defined my journey. So the main focus of my approach to medicine and therapy is based on yoga and meditation as methods of connecting more to oneself, developing the power to feel and experience what is actually happening within the body and mind so you can make appropriate changes and optimize your life. And meditation and psychotherapy also support you in understanding the role that illness plays in the world and that it plays in your life, and that it has a sacred purpose as well, even though we don't want it. And to achieve these goals, we teach methods to cultivate self-awareness that have been the foundation of wisdom and the development of intuition and health and strength. And when you're self-aware, you can strengthen yourself, both as an individual and your sense of yourself as a universal being. Jungian depth psychology and Eastern approaches to psychotherapy really facilitate your ability to pierce your awareness deep into the psyche, into the dark recesses of your soul, to discover your strengths and your weaknesses, the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means your humanity, and how wonderful each one of us is despite our flaws. In the podcast, we also discuss polyvagal theory, which is a revolutionary new view of the autonomic nervous system the difference between counselling and psychotherapy, what reparenting means in therapy and how we use that to develop a more mature internal adult state that enables you to stand on your own two feet in life, that means physically, mentally and spiritually, and it means that you no longer are so dependent on external sources to make decisions, you have greater access to your own intuition, your inner strength and your abilities. And also discuss how I use yoga and meditation to support patients in connecting with their inner strength and the ability to heal themselves, and how every therapy session that I am engaged in, I'm attempting to use meditation to meditate on my client, my patient, my student, so that I can feel more and I can experience more of who they are, 
so that I can be more appropriate to their needs. Welcome to the show, Shankar Dev. Hi, Ron. Good to be here. <laughs> Thanks thank for you. inviting me. Thanks. It's now always, this, It's always good to see you. Uh, thank you. And it's always lovely to see you too. Yeah. Now, this is uh, an, you're a general practitioner and you've been a general practitioner for some time. Um, it's like every practitioner, there's a journey. 40 years. 40 years. I was Well, some time is 40 years, and that's quite yeah, a bit of time. So there's been quite a journey there. Can you yeah. share with us part of that journey? Ron, you and I have known each other a long time, and what I enjoy from our conversations is this kind of self-reflection time and trying to understand, actually, you know, reflect back on who I am in order to talk about this with your audience. And, you know, when you asked me to uh, come onto this podcast, sort of really made me think about the journey I've been on. And, of course, you know, you can, you can go back a long way, and I'm not going to bore you with details on that. We don't have to go back through the birthing through process, birthing process, but, process. But, but, you know, they're all yeah. relevant. I, you know, I'm not dismissing them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, my journey's been defined by both Western healing and philosophies and Eastern healing and philosophies of, you know, of yoga and meditation. And, you know, my name, you know, I'm, I've got this Swami name, so I sort of feel that I straddle these two worlds. And I think the overarching theme in my life is this straddling of the Eastern and Western um, systems, and that's what I've tried to bring into my practice. Mm. And I've never really been a classical GP. I've always been holistic. And even when I was in medical school, when I first started to really get into yoga and meditation, and, you know, the spiritual side of it in particular... I've always had this sense that there was a lot more to medicine than I was being taught. I remember a lot of my teachers, one of the cardiologists teaching us at medical school died from a heart attack. I remember my orthopedic surgeon train, you know, who was training me at the time told me that you know, he had a backache and there's nothing he could do about his backache and he tells all his patients, look, you've got a backache or a back problem, there's nothing you can do about it. Hmm. You've just got to learn to live with it. So that, that kind, of, kind of mechanistic approach to the world didn't suit. And, of course, in the 70s when we were training, it was a very technically interesting time, a lot of advancement machinery and technology and, and, and investigations and imaging and all of this sort of stuff was coming out. And the, the human being was lost. I think because of who, you know, my, my personality or something... I couldn't fit into that model. So I've always had a bit of a, uh, you know, sort of a tense relationship with the medical, you know, my, the medical system because I felt it's a bit rigid and a bit narrow. But, of course, now things have evolved tremendously and now we understand the role of the person. So the biopsychosocial models are very important, but there's still a long way to go to address mm. the whole person. So my practice has always been a kind of a blending of um, these Eastern and Western methods and the empowering of the individual and trying to support people to understand what the role that illness plays in the world and it plays in their life. And so my practice has been sort of really dealing with chronic illness, physical and mental illness. And in the recent time, it's become very much a, a psychotherapeutic practice. But when I think about myself, so when I tell my colleagues what I do, I'd say I'm a medical psychotherapist. But when I think about what I am, I'm really a yoga therapist. Hmm. And the word yoga means connection. And um, so I don't use that word as much now because it's been hijacked by 
people who do you know yoga therapy as a kind of a postures and stretching based mm. practice but for me yoga therapy is anything in which consciousness is cultivated so that people get more awareness in particular self awareness is the foundation of everything i do and are then you know encouraged to become inquisitive and to find out more about who they are and what's going on in their lives in order to become you know to gain knowledge and and then apply that knowledge and it's the yoga that makes the difference because the yoga is the thing that enables someone to take control of their own body mind and and to some degree their own consciousness spirit so that yoga metaphor i mean it's not a metaphor it's yeah. the connection between mind and body it is. is is the perfect way of building the practice around mind body medicine it is and and so a lot of people don't fully appreciate what that actually means well the mind body medicine grew out of herbert benson's work in harvard back in the 70s when he did research into meditation he was originally for a short period of time connected to the transcendental meditation people and then he went on to develop his own way of understanding what meditation was and he developed what's called the relaxation response which was a very important physiological discovery about how relaxation can retrain the system kick the system out of the sympathetic overdrive the stress system down into the parasympathetic he was in harvard and he developed systems of evidence-based application of mind training spiritual training that along with exercise diet um counseling and you know traditional orthodox medical approaches created this much bigger holistic system and it's really that model that i think has been the foundation for a lot of the growth of mind body medicine in the west and that's something that appealed to me i i, I met her benson back in the in the 80s and um I, I have followed his work, and I think he's done incredible work. He's he's been doing research in Tibetan monks in extreme states of meditation. Mm. Uh, he's measured monks who can sleep in the snow, wrapped in a piece of cloth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the mind-body medicine thing is this perfect Western corollary to yoga, in which um, you know we're able to. recognize that within us there are things we you know our society has not fostered our knowledge base what we know in the world is very limited by the structures of the society the build we create a society mm. and then in certain you know societies they've really spent a lot of time and energy and money on investigating human potential so the mind you know we think of the mind in very in a very kind of linear um narrow way the mind is is huge as a you know whatever that is whatever mm. whatever a mind is yeah and there are different ways of defining that but the potential of the human being to take control to understand to feel connected to feel that they're not powerless in the face of of the world and illness and that sort of thing to build their own internal strengths is enormous hmm. and we and the and so the research is showing us that we're capable of incredible things yeah the the those instances of research which look at the extremes are great because they give us the the potential that the mind actually has yeah. but of course there's a whole spectrum that brings people back into their real world what they are themselves capable of 
on a daily basis right now. I mean, they may not want to meditate to the point of being able to sit on a mountaintop covered by snow in a sheet not, of... Not very useful in our society. Not very useful, but, but interesting from the perspective of, hey, th if this is what we're capable of, what if I did a little bit less? God knows what I'd be capable of then. Exactly. And again, you mentioned the sympathetic, which to remind our listener is that kind of when you're under stress, the sympathetic nervous system is more dominant. That's the fight or yeah. flight, and the parasympathetic is the rest and digest. Yeah. How do we incorporate that into a medical practice? Or how do you incorporate that into your medical practice? Well, the work on the nervous system or the autonomic nervous system has grown tremendously in the past, in particular the work with Stephen Porges and his polyvagal theory. Wow. Okay. Polyvagal theory. I'll have links to that, uh, listener. Don't, don't, don't tune out just yet. We'll go to, we'll get to that. Okay, yeah, so go on, tell us about the, that. The polyvagal theory, the scientific discovery that expanded our understanding of how the nervous system works. We thought that there was basically just this dual thing. You know, you're either stressed and your sympathetic system's turned on, or you're relaxed and your parasympathetic system's turned on. But in fact, what we found is there's a third system. Um, and what happens is that when you're very relaxed, then a part of the vagus nerve called the ventral vagus, I believe is the ventral, is turned on. And that's the part that enables connection that enables joy, uh, mindfulness, feeling grounded. The vagus is connected to the digestive system as well. So you have a complete cascade of biological, chemical, neurological reactions that enable digestion, that enable the absorption of nutrition into the cells, that enable the uh, absorption of em emotions into the, into the body, that enable digestion of thinking, thoughts, knowledge, understanding. That's when understanding comes. That's and the gut, the gut is often referred to as the second brain, isn't it? It is. And this, this is that connection. That's a big part of it. Right. That's a big part of it. But digestion has to be thought of as physical, energetic, mental, emotional, psychic and spiritual. Mm. You've, got to, you've got to be able to digest the world. You've got to be able to digest your experiences. So if you've had a bad trauma... And that trauma is not digested. It becomes post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And as soon as it's digested, you poop out the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, nice metaphor. It is. Well, I use yeah. the poop metaphor a lot in my yeah, practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a powerful metaphor. Well, I, it like sticks. To, I, it sticks. I like to ask, what does your poo say about you? But that's another topic for another time. But I like this digestion. Digest your that's trauma, right. digest your life events. And you poop out the bad stuff. Yeah. And you absorb the lesson. From, the, from what you went through. So you can become strengthened by trauma and as well. So, so anyway, so the, this polyvagal system talks about the parasympathetic ventral, the front of the vagus nerve, being, you know, this socialisation. It enables us to stay in society and to relate to people from a calm place. Mm. And then if you get aroused by some threat or something that you need to focus your attention, you're driving a car or you're walking across the street or you're facing some problem, tax or something, you know, in increasing scale, then your sympathetic system has to come in and that will give you the energy required to deal with the stress and then you should then relax back down into the into that ventral vagus, ventral. the ventral system. But what happens is that for a lot of people, they're stuck in the sympathetic. And then there's another part of the vagus that takes us into, into deep trauma. So if the stresses build up a lot, then the, the ventral vagus is no longer accessible. 
the sympathetic system runs out of juice, you get adrenal fatigue, and then you fall into this next part, which is collapse, and you feel numb, trapped, mm-hmm. helpless, lost, and you can go into states of dissociation and deep trauma. So, so in my practice, I see people throughout that whole range of that system, and my aim is to bring them back and cultivate the parasympathetic through relaxation and meditation and self-introspection and philosophy and, and healing and, mm-hmm. and drugs and surgery and everything, whatever is required, to get them to learn to modulate the, the ability to move up and down through the body-mind, to develop mind over matter, mind over body control through awareness training. Mm-hmm. Awareness is the key. Yeah. So you want to have awareness, you want to feel you want to be able to feel what's going on. You want to be able to understand what's going on. And then you can apply what's appropriate to either make yourself relaxed or tense if you need to. Mm. And not allow yourself to get into these collapsed states of you know, severe anxiety, severe mm. depression, um, or, or the physiological correlates of the, or you know, parallels of that, which would be you know, some kind of collapse of, a, of an organ system, mm. heart, lungs. A, a, a clinically identifiable disease. Absolutely. By the time you've got to a diagnosis, yeah. it isn't like a light switch. One yeah. day you were really healthy yeah. and the next day you've got a diagnosis of some... It's a, it's a process that Mainly. people are going through. Exactly. But also you see that if you, if you don't learn to regulate your own system, that stress, the stress system alone has, an, has the ability to cause illness. But if you go further, if your stress system turns off you're in real trouble because you've got nothing to fight. Mm. You've got no fight left. Yeah. You've got no immunity. Yeah. Or your immunity's gone crazy. Mm. You know, so yeah, which is what autoimmune conditions happen with autoimmune right. conditions. But right. yeah, Now, for those people that are still trying to digest that polyvagal yeah. uh, description, I mean, the vagus nerve is very uh, accessible by sticking your fingers down your throat and stimulating the back of your tongue, and that's what makes you sick. That, hey, folks, is the vagus nerve, but it's far more complicated than that, as we've just heard. You're but on that point. Can I yeah, just, I yeah, just yeah. Interrupt you. Sure. So every morning when I brush my teeth, okay. I rub my tongue <laughs> okay. and gag. Oh dear. Three times. Yes. Okay. Um, but but now you are incorporating psychotherapy into your yeah. into your um, yeah. practice, and well, I mean, well, terminology-wise, is there a difference between counselling or psychotherapy? Yep. Yeah. Okay. What's the difference? These terms are broad umbrellas. And different schools of psychology or thought will perhaps define them slightly differently. But as a broad understanding, counselling is where you want to change, help someone to change a behaviour. So relaxation, change, you know, change the diet, exercise, or some habit that someone's got in relationship that's getting in the way of them having you know, a happy, successful life or some work issues or something. And that's the bread and butter of psychology, so CBT is very good for that. CBT being cognitive behavioural therapy, okay. um, and that's the that's kind of the main, along with relaxation, that would be one of the main tools that a psychologist would use in dealing with behavioural issues. So it's it's all about behaviour in in that sense, and and the cognition that allows that behaviour to um, proliferate or to you know or to you know patterns that we're stuck in. If we're stuck in a pattern. How do we break the pattern and get a new pattern, learn something, a better way? That's counselling. And psychotherapy is a much more in-depth process of where someone either wants to change something deep in themselves, some aspect of themselves as a person, or they want to grow and they want to understand more. So, for example, Jungian uh, analytic 
psychology or psychotherapy. As in Carl Jung. Carl Jung. Yeah. You know, is a, is a great example of that where, where Jung was one of these masters of the mind and was enable, enable people to take a deep journey into themselves to discover what lies underneath, you know, deep down. So, so you can think of counselling as more superficial mm-hmm. and psychotherapy as much more depth. And psychotherapy generally takes a long time. And so counselling, you can do it in one session, four sessions, 10, 12 sessions, usually you can get things more or less completed. Psychotherapy, you're looking at, at, at years. And psychotherapy is particularly useful for people who've had major trauma and who have, or who suffer from sort of chronic depression or um, people who've had very difficult uh, upbringing, family upbringing, mm. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Where you can, and then what happens is we aim to reparent the individual, support them um, reparenting themselves in order to find less internal conflicts. And so on. Reparenting, interesting term. Reparenting means between zero and five, Zero and five, five years, years old. Thank you. I thought you, were, I thought you had this new scoring system for your pain. No, zero and five years old. Yeah, go Keep me honest. Keep me honest. So between zero and five years, we're forming an ego. We have no reference point. So we're just absorbing the world. And so that's when we build these internal structures in our ego. The aim of the outer parent is that eventually at a certain point in your life, you no longer need an outer parent. You've got an inner parent. Mm-hmm. You know when's the right time to go to bed. You know how much to eat, how much to drink. You know, uh, you know how to survive in the world. You know how to what you can trust, what you can't trust, and you don't have a lot of internal conflicts about what's right and wrong, or what's what should I do in my life, or how should I be. And sometimes kids are given a message, like for example, the parents are having a lot of trouble, they're fighting, and the kid feels very anxious and goes up to mum and says, "Mum." Uh, what's going on? And mum said, don't worry, everything's fine. But the, you know, the body experience of that kid is, no. You know, mum's saying, I'm getting this message that everything's fine. I'm getting another much bigger body message that the world's not safe. Mm. And so that gets internalised and confusing. Mm-hmm. And so... Often, so the inner parent is under threat here? Or well, not the, developing? The, the inner parent is, is... The inner parent is getting conflicting messages mm-hmm. so that later in life... It's very hard to know what's going on. But the main problem with this is that you have an inner parent which keeps telling you there's something wrong with me. It must be me because mum said the world's okay, everything's okay, but I've got this problem in my body, so it must be me. Hmm. You know, so therefore you, get, uh, you kind of diminish yourself. You, keep kind of, you get this inner voice saying there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with me. And that's a big part of psychotherapy, this re-establishing self Esteem and self-efficacy, the ability to feel good about who you are, to recognise that that voice is, is something that you picked up at a young age that's no, that was false, no longer useful. You can do that to some degree through CBT, through uh, cognitive behavioural therapy. But for some people, because of the pervasive nature of the trauma or the, the confusion that occurred in their childhood over such a long period of time, it can be zero to 20, you know, 20 years of this confusing, conflicting mm. stuff, um, then you need to go into psychotherapy or you can go into psychotherapy and um, you start to examine those patterns and over time you learn to deconstruct your feelings, you deconstruct your thoughts 
and you learn which of those feelings are genuine and, re and real and which of them are old and not useful. And then you learn to digest them. Mm. As you poop out as much as you can <laughs> and you take in the meaning. Mm. So it makes us a better person. Mm. That's mm. the aim. Now, you know, I've been through this several times. Uh, I've, I've had a psychotherapy in a couple of times in my life yeah. and I've found it to be extremely useful just explaining the, the process of talking to someone and articulating the what is the problem. In, in one case, it was a grief thing. In another case, it was a strong allergy response that hadn't responded to yeah. anything else. I mean, I'd been through every sort of test, mm. and in the end, I found myself in a practice of a holistic practitioner. It wasn't you at the time, mm. but it turned out to be two sessions or three or several sessions of psychotherapy about my relationship with my parents, and hey, presto, my allergies improved. Mm. But the actual process of talking is very cathartic in itself. But then the response that comes back is very much dependent on which school that practitioner comes from, isn't it? Totally. Totally. And there are many different schools. And, and of course, that can have a profound impact on the yeah. outcome yeah. or how comfortable you feel with your practitioner. You've got to, you've got to shop around for the therapist. Yeah, because it can... I don't think people are necessarily aware of that, that psychotherapy is not... It's, a, it's an umbrella term. Yes. Which includes many different schools. I mean, you mentioned Jung, Jung. as one, Carl Jung. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know Freud. Freud and, and I guess that all relates back to some kind of sexual uh, issue you know, with your mother. Issue with your mother. Um, you know. Jung is much more into the, into the cosmic and the more the womb of life and so on. And, you know, Reich had a, had a whole system, okay. you know, based on... What was on his name? The Wilhelm, Wilhelm, Wilhelm Reich. Reich. He built yeah. a whole system of body-oriented psychotherapy yeah. based on the suppression of the sexual impulse. He was sort of from Freud on. And then mm. there's multiple schools. And my, my approach is basically a mixture of Jungian plus so many other Western modalities. I've used hypnosis and a whole lot of other mm. Western modalities. But I've found, in, for the people who come to me who, who like me and who kind of get on with what I... or are interested in what I do, the combination of Eastern and Western is very powerful. So I bring Eastern philosophy in hmm. and give them some homework to do around trying to understand some of the concepts that have been stored in Eastern culture about the, the nature of the self, the nature of the mind, hmm. sort of not uh, religious concepts but philosophical uh, or spiritual or meditative concepts. Hmm. And the combination of meditation and psychotherapy sort of speeds things up a hundredfold. Hmm. Because meditation, you're going home and doing the work on yourself, becoming your own therapist. You become hmm. empowered hmm. Hmm. and you become self-aware yeah. and able to self-regulate. Yes. And that leads to self-mastery eventually. Yeah. It takes a long time, in my opinion, to get to self-mastery. I think I'm still on my way to that. Yeah, personally, because it is so easy, and this is actually true of healthcare in general, to abrogate your responsibility to your health practitioner. I often say, if the only thing you know is your doctor's phone number, if the only thing you know about health is your doctor's phone number, then you are in real trouble. And I guess similarly, if you are relying totally on your psychotherapist for this, you know, this service. Um, then, then you're in, not well. Trouble may be too strong a word, but you're not fulfilling as much of the potential that you have yeah. as as you would otherwise Perfect. by harnessing ha harnessing that patient to be part of the process. The thing that brings people into psychotherapy is their inner child, mainly. 
It's rare that an inner parent issue brings people to therapy because for various reasons it's mm. complex. Mm. But mm. It's mainly we're dealing with the inner child that somehow hasn't been nourished. So you've got these two parts. One part of you generally, in the majority of people, who's working pretty well in the world, and there's another part that is kind of troublesome, internally troublesome, worrying, anxiety, you know, this constant production of thoughts and worry and anxiety and feelings that are strange and you're trying to avoid them by distraction or alcohol or something. But, you, you know, you've got a pretty functional life. And so that inner child would look to the therapist as a parent, as, a, as a, an authority figure that could potentially fix them. And the thing about therapy is that you're teaching people to become their own, to become an adult, to be able to stand on their two feet physically in the world, emotionally in the world, mentally, spiritually, to become a spiritual adult, an ethical adult, mm. someone who can make decisions that don't always, aren't always in their own best self-interest. Mm. Ultimately, you know, these are very difficult areas to navigate because it's very complex. But, you know, sometimes we have to let go a little bit of our own stuff, sacrifice a bit in order for the, for the greater good. Hmm. So that maturity, that maturation of, of the person is what the Eastern psychotherapies have always been about. And that's always had a kind of guru, disciple, teacher, student relationship which was very psychotherapeutic because I was in India for 10 years with my guru and I took him, I wanted him to be my saviour, I wanted him to fix me, I wanted him, him to enlighten me, I wanted him to, you know, protect me from any problems and I thought he was a god-man or something and every time I, I tried to apply that in our relationship, he'd just knock me down, he'd, he'd say, no, it's up to you, what do you want to do, what's right for you? and just go back to the foundations, the knowledge, and apply and practice and, you know, mm -hmm. work it out for yourself. But having that person there was an anchor. So the Eastern psychotherapies have always had a lot of practices. They have tremendous number of practices and meditations and techniques. There are techniques to work with your pelvis. There are techniques to work with your digestion. There are techniques to work with your heart and your emotions, and your physical heart, and your psychological heart, or your metaphysical heart. There are techniques to work with the brain, intuition. And not These techniques are practices? They're all practices. They're all practices of breathing, meditation, focus? They're, so in the yoga traditions, they are postures, breathing, meditation, mantra, sound vibration, visualisation combinations, plus the ability... It all comes back to self-awareness, the ability to... Focus your attention onto a part of your body and apply knowledge and energy for change. Or to understand what's going on. Can I, how do I change this feeling? How do I change my digestion? What's my body telling me? Hmm. How do I get to hear that more? So it's the relationship with self, which is the key. Yeah. And I think last time we had a chat, you mentioned to me that the meaning, well, you've just mentioned it before, the meaning of yoga is connection. Yes. But the meaning of meditation is? Connection. Connection. Yeah. So, Which I think is yeah, really... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's... Well, meditation requires three things. A meditator, an object of meditation, mm -hmm. and the act of meditation, which connects the meditator with the object. And the object can be physical, it can be abstract, it can be self, it can be anything. Yeah, what's an example of a physical object? Like a, a flower. A, just looking at something, at that, a candle a or sun, a flower. A sunrise. A sunrise, just do that. Yeah. Another person. Yeah. So when I'm with my patients, I'm meditating on my patients mm -hmm. in a way that I'm, I'm aware of what's going on in me. Yeah. 
I'm trying to be fully aware of what's going on in them. I want to be able to see them, hear them, hmm. feel them, experience yeah. them yeah. To, the, to a degree. Yeah. What's their trauma? You know, the more information I get subliminally, in a sense, through the subconscious hmm. that I'm aware, I can be aware of through my meditative practice, hmm. the more I hear beyond the, the words. And that's the key. You mm. want to hear beyond the, the verbal mm. description because a lot of people are saying things and then you can hear something else and you can say, well, what about this? Mm. Like in a sense, this yeah. is a meditation. Yes, this, <laughs> is, this is a public meditation. Where it's <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a lively dynamic. <laughs> dynamic because, because we're connected. Yeah. So yoga enables things to work. If there's no yoga, if there's no connection, things don't work. Mm. So whenever you've got a relationship, a marriage... That doesn't where the two partners are not connected. They don't have a yoga. They don't have a union. They mm. don't have a connection. So in the couples work I do, which is rare but occasional, um, not my not my specialty, but I have done a bit. You try to get the couple to work out how to stay in this kind of harmonious tension, you know, peaceful tension. How to how to build, you know, how to see each other anew, and 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 what what can we, how can we explore better connection. Mm. What works for me? What works for the other? Hmm. This uh, this word connection, because I mean, you know, it's a theme that runs through a lot of my podcasts, and that is the connection that we have with with the world, rather than just as an individual doing what we feel like doing, because it gives us pleasure. This connection that we have with the rest of the world, and also now this connection we have with our bodies and our minds. I mean, it's a, it's an important word. But listen, it's been terrific because we've covered a lot of territory here. I, I wanted to finish just by asking you, this I ask a lot of my guests, what do you think the biggest challenge is for people uh, that people face today in our modern world on, on their health journey? What do you think that is? I think the biggest challenge is for people to take control of their own health, partly because... Um, if we, we do a psychotherapeutic analysis of the system, the medical systems are very paternalistic uh, and infant, and they infantilise the patients. Make them feel... They make them feel... Childlike. That, that they don't know anything mm-hmm. and the doctor knows everything. Yes. And um, just follow my advice. And I think the key is education and becoming empowered. I think it's happening more and more amongst mm. the more educated... They're asking more questions. But as a general principle, you know, get education around physical health. Get it more education around psychological health. The problem today, too, is that we live in a world of information. And information is not knowledge, and knowledge is not wisdom. Wise person said, and I think, uh, you know, we're bombarded with information. So it's about talking to people over time, getting experience, you know, talking to different practitioners and reading and, and so on within whatever time frame you can, um, you know, because we're busy. But I think the, so the challenge is, the, is modern life itself. You know, mm. It's just mm. hard to it's hard to hold it all together. But, you know, I think the work you're doing with your podcast is, is a very good way <laughs> to get the message out there, or our message anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. No, it's a common theme. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a great pleasure, as always. Thanks, Ron. If you would like to know more about what we do at Big Shakti, please go to www.bigshakti.com where you can see all of our products and offerings. And you can sign up for our free newsletter 
And when you do sign up, you're entitled to a 15% discount on your first purchase. And subscribers, of course, get generous discounts on all our products from time to time, especially when we release a new course. And we do have courses for everyone, from beginners on the path to yoga teachers and sincere aspirants and psychologists and therapists and health professionals. And many of our courses are downloadable and can be done in your own time. And we also run live online training every year. All of our courses provide you with the opportunity to experience and understand the powers and mysteries of your mind and spirit. Unwind, take a break from your daily activities and learn how to use different forms of meditation to achieve inner tranquility, happiness, fulfillment and spiritual awakening. You will learn the keys to a healthy lifestyle, a calm, clear mind, emotional resilience and spiritual insight.